0: Welcome to the Unsweetened Sio podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsio.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 79 of Unsweetened Sayo, the podcast. Super excited for today's guest. I have Cynthia Myers Morrison with us. And Cynthia is a certified food addiction counselor and offers the sugar assessment to assist people in determining if they are struggling with sugar in food. It's based on the ICD DSM criteria for substance use. She is certified and licensed to do this assessment. And she's been in the food addiction recovery for over 49 years and now shares her wisdom gained from 22 continuous years free from grains, sugar, and alcohol. Cynthia is passionate in her commitment to the field of food addiction. She's dedicated the last 22 years to organizations and people interested in recovery from food addiction. She's had professional studies at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, the International Food Addiction Counseling Training, and with Bitten Johnson. She's added her own personal success of letting go of nearly 100 pounds for more than 22 years. She also co-wrote a book with Dave Woof, who we had on a few episodes ago, called The Fix for Cravings. And they offer a cho- food plan to help in life choices to eliminate cravings and transform your life. We will make sure we link that too. And Cynthia will talk more about that. And then also very excitingly, Cynthia, along with four other colleagues, is announcing a brand new virtual community to support sugar and food addicts desiring recovery. It's a subscription-based model based on C-A-R-E, CARE, so Community, Action Steps, Recovery, Protection, and Education. You can go to www.sugarxglobal, where you will soon find multiple weekly village recovery gatherings, guest speakers, experts in the field, as well as Q&A forums and practical information on how to get free from cravings and how to stay free. So welcome, Cynthia, we're so excited to have you on today. Thank
1: you, Siobhan, thank you so much for inviting me. and. In. Uh, inviting my colleagues to participate in your your series. Thank yes, you so much. Yes, we're very
0: excited to get to know everyone right now. We were saying as part of the, the Sugar X, we, you know, started with Anna Freeling, and then we've had Dave Wolf and his mother, Judy Wolf, and now we get to interview you. Next week, we're going to be talking with Shun, So we're really getting to know the whole, everyone, all of you amazing people making up this awesome community. So really happy to have you here today and share your own story with us. I mean, 22 years of continuous you know, recovery over a hundred pound weight loss, that's all so amazing. So I'm excited at getting it to three years. So I can't even imagine getting to the 22 year mark. So if you wouldn't mind, let's start by you just maybe telling us a little bit about your own story.
1: I would love to. My um, my story, I am a food addict, but I didn't always know that. And my story is such that I was an Air Force child and grew up with a family that moved constantly. And we, um, my first food memory was stealing food off the coffee table and drinking the remnants of the beer that was on the coffee table. And knowing that I was doing something wrong, I knew that it was wrong. My parents had walked outside to say goodbye to the guests and I was eating and drinking alcohol and knowing it was wrong. So here I was uh, when they came back in and said, what are you doing? I said nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> so I liar, a cheat, a thief, and into the food and alcohol at age five. At age five. So and that's often the case when we, we look at our histories of sugar and food addiction, that they were actually the first. And that's only my first memory. So usually memories are attached to language. And those language threads are the ones from which we pull the the memories. So it was probably earlier, but at least at age five. So I, I started there and... I continued on. My mother was a home economics major, graduate of uh, college. Um, so she wanted to feed us well, and she fed us by the by the dictums of the society at that time. And those included some things that I am highly allergic to, allergic in the sense that my body does not process those items correctly, normally, quote unquote. Um, so I ate things that caused... Cravings that made me eat more and that I had no power over. Once I was in, eating something that created cravings, I was powerless over that substance. I would start with one and want second, third, fourth. And sometimes it was one serving or, you know, second, third, fourth servings. But it could be, you know, one, one, one particular small item out of a huge jar and that huge jar would be eaten. Um, the fact that my father made substances for us that um, popped, made little noises, and it was, uh, it was one of my favorite things that he did, and was his love for us. That was love, you know, so it was always attached, a smell, a sound, uh, the, the, the whole experience of that substance was experienced as love with from my father and so there are emotional attachments there but the substance was the addictive be, you know thing um, the behaviors of repeating the putting things in my mouth that's a behavioral piece and i definitely have that um but the substance is what by removing that i have freedom that i never had before but i didn't know that for a long long time i um have a lot of addictions, addiction interact. I don't experience it in that way. I experienced it as I had food addiction, caffeine addiction, sex and love addiction, um, the nicotine addiction, and they went on. All of those I had when I was 24 years old. So I had acquired all of them by that time. And I was dying, dying, but I looked, I was about the same size as I am now but I didn't know that the problems that I had were so significant. So in 1971, I went to a swingers party in Hollywood and I ended up in the support groups for alcohol and food. And that's quite an unusual story, but I did hear it about uh, 10 or 15 years later in Israel, another person who had the same story. So you never know (laughs) what it will be. But in doing so, I stopped, Uh, using alcohol at that time. So I've been alcohol free for 49 years. However, I did not understand that alcohol is made from grain and sugar, and that I needed to cease putting grains and sugar into my body. I just couldn't believe that that was necessary. I intermittently for 27 years, tried to moderate those two substances. I, and To some degree, it worked earlier. Um, I could eat some things, some brown things, but not white things. And I used all those kinds of markers, but I was always struggling with cravings. And so anything that creates cravings in my body is something that I really, I cannot tolerate. It is something that does not work for me. It doesn't matter if it works for everybody else in the world You know, it probably doesn't, but for many people, they still want it to. My mother, there are many things that I choose not to eat because they affect me. My mother does not have the same issue. She thinks that to this very day, she's 97 years old, she believes that it is a matter of willpower. I can tell you, it is not a matter of willpower. It is a biochemical difference in me, a brain difference, a dopamine difference, it my whole chemistry is different from my mother, much more akin to my father's. So, um, that and that that rings true in the genetics when I'm looking at the genes that I'm fascinated with as well. Genealogy the um, fact that for 27 years I did not stop eating those two substances created great difficulties in my life over the years. I would be thin, I would be heavy, I would move from from being miserably depressed, suicidally depressed, literally going to a place and um, talking with someone who was sitting in a wheelchair. And she said to me, you know, we were just chatting and I was telling her I was having a hard day. And she said, well, you know, tell me a little more. And then I um, asked how she had come to be in the wheelchair. And she said she had tried to kill herself. And then she extended her hand and she said, my name is Cindy. And I went, oh. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to try and kill myself today. <laughs> that was too, 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 One of those woo-woo experiences. But I didn't kill myself that day. But there were other days when I was longing to end my life, to end the life as I understood it, as I experienced it, because it was so painful to be in a body that was experiencing cravings. And the only time that I was free from that was were those minutes when someone would say, well, why don't you try not eating any of these things? And they were all the grains and all the sugars. And at those times I was free, but I could not, I would not believe that I had to stop. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. And so finally, I got to the day when, uh, as I said, 27 years into this, I had a new car. I had a condo that I had just purchased that I loved. I had the job that I had always been wanting to have. I had secured that position and acquired the skills to have that. And I was going to kill myself after one pint of a frozen substance the night before. And it, it just decimated my body, decimated me. And the next morning I had foggy brain. I had this overwhelming sense of my joints being so filled with aching. I thought, I cannot go on this way. I just can't, I'm gonna kill myself. And I had the means, I had the intention, and I had a plan. And so that day I went to one more recovery, session just one I wasn't going to do anymore but I went to one more and was directed at that place to another place where I started this 22 years of not eating grains and sugar from that day and it was that I committed one meal and then the next morning committed three meals and the next day and I just did it one day at a time I cannot today I still do it one day at a time I'm in the midst of moving and packing and I'm doing it one meal one day at a time, you know, and that still works for me and it works for me that there's a no matter what um, message of recovery that says, no matter what the circumstances are, I, I hold my life in one hand, and you probably heard this from Judy Wolf also, and life is in the other and I don't clap, I don't put those two things together. My husband has been uh, in circumstances where he had heart surgery, open heart surgery. I prepared and ate my food, and I weigh and measure my food first. I weighed and measured to make sure that I got um, every bit of food that I could possibly get, and then subsequently, I weighed and measured to make sure that I get enough food. So that that was the that was the piece that I to do and um, today you know with all of these things I weigh and measure my food and take the responsible positions in terms of making sure that I have backup that I carry it with me when I'm in circumstances that might be triggering or in circumstances where it it just may be inconvenient for others to provide to me what I need and the I carried my food with me when I got married. I was a year um, abstinent when I got married to this husband. This husband is my third husband and I had a wife for 14 years in between. Wow. And uh, so <laughs> quite a quite a history of relationships that were not <laughs> successful. And in large part because of me and my food because I was not, I had a broken picker. There were some wonderful people in there, but there were also people that I shouldn't have been with because of my food choices as a result of me being a food addict and then me interacting with others in codependent ways. So those are all things that that fit into this puzzle. Um, so my whole idea is that, that I do this today, one day and one day, and that when I got married, um, we were waiting for the for a cab to take us to the hotel where we were going to be um, go to the wedding chapel, et cetera. And um, I ate my weighed and measured meal from Tupperware. It was a delicious meal, I must say. But I had prepared it and brought it with me so that I could eat at my regular mealtime, independent of when others were going to be eating. And th- those are the kinds of things that no matter what, I don't need a a cake to say that I'm married. Um, I had, we have pictures of me putting a piece of that into my husband's mouth at a reception later, but I don't have to have that. We do have a picture of me with my scale also from that reception. (laughs) So I'm, I'm very protective of my recovery. And that's one of the things that I think is so significant about ongoing, day-to-day-to-day recovery, that it is a a one-day-at-a-time program. Sometimes one meal, sometimes one moment. But if I'm wanting to take care of myself, if I'm being responsible for myself, if I'm being caretaking in the most appropriate, nurturing ways for myself, food is one of the first things that I have to take care of. And then I take care of, Breath tape, breathing tape from conscious breathing that I love keeps my mouth closed while I'm sleeping so that I can have a greater amount of serotonin in my body. Um, I, I take responsibility for going to bed at appropriate times. For a long, long time, even into abstinence, I, spoke, I slept for four hours a night. That wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. I was cranky often as a result of lack of sleep but I didn't realize how important it was to sleep and how important REM and deep sleep are. And I, I really appreciate eight hours of sleep now. <laughs> so seven to eight hours is what I strive for. And I have sleep hygiene to get me ready for bed and get me up in the morning. And those are things that make a difference in terms of recovery. Codependency, as long as I was listening to other family members who were into the food and we often laughed about the fact that I uh, found in the family unit that whenever one person lost weight, other pe- people gained weight. It was as though we passed it on to each other, back and forth, back and forth. I don't think that's really true, but it seemed that way. And so when when I I lost so many I discarded I didn't lose it I don't want to find it Um, I discarded so much weight and have maintained that weight loss there are people in my life today that have never seen me at 224 pounds on a five foot four body they've never seen me that way they look at my pictures and go really you no that's not you oh well I see your smile it doesn't look like you and I look so much older then. I, at 51 years of age, looked considerably older than I do now. And now, those of you that haven't can't see me, I'm 74 years of age almost. I have another week to go. And um, I'm active in my life. And I, I wanna talk some about that. I, in changing from being befogged by the food and having these aching joints and headaches that beleaguered me all all of my life and that I had migraines for 40 years. In recovery from food addiction, I have been placed in circumstances where I had the tenacity to get help for all sorts of things that I had not been willing or able to solve prior to food recovery. So food recovery has meant for me recovery in so many other ways, in other addictions, in other behaviors, in other self-defeating programs within my head. So I'm grateful for food recovery because of all of those things as well. I um, have different relationships today. Perfect? No, (laughs) no. But my husband was recently telling a friend of mine who's new in recovery, uh, said well you should have seen her you know even 22 years ago never mind he's known me for 47 years so uh never mind 47 years ago (laughs) but 22 years ago she was still pretty pretty crazy (laughs) and what he means by that is he's a very loving he loves me really truly loves me and but what he means is that i was not respectful of myself i wasn't respectful of others in the ways that i am today i i wasn't accepting of myself i wasn't accepting of others so many different things that um you know are crazy not sane behaviors thinking that i wasn't enough because my parents had a child when i was three and a half years old and i thought why should they have a baby i'm I should be enough. That's a three and a half year old thinking. But the fact that I carried that for another 50 years, that is insane behavior. So these are the kinds of things the trauma that I experienced as a youngster, um, you know, those are things that I carried. But had I had the clarity of mind that I gained with abstinence from grains and sugar, I might not have had to have carried them so long as I did because they have been resolved in the interim. I, I don't, I, th- I know today that hurt people hurt people and I do not have to be one of those people. I can break the chain that has harmed others in a number of ways and places. So there's so many things that come as a direct result of food recovery and being sugar and grain free is, is just amazing. I just wanna say that my life today, even with this COVID business, I uh, have jazzercise, I get to dance, and I found that that was tremendously helpful for my body, that the music, the interaction with others, especially in non-COVID circumstances, and I could I could just have fun doing what is called exercise, quote unquote, and I could walk and I could take photographs and focus on panoramic distance views and close up things that I just found fascinating and take photos of those while I walk. I'm, I'm delighting in the natural world, delighting in my body being able to do things with mirror neurons that I couldn't do before. I really had impediments to my brain processing as um, being able to learn how to do movements and dance and things of that sort. I was terrible in PE classes in junior high school, terrible. But I, had, I needed uh, adaptive PE, I think. But I've learned in recovery to heal all of those kinds of things. And those are brain things that can heal, can change. Gut things that can heal, can change. We don't have to stay stuck in all of the the illness, the lack of wellness. So, I I dance today. I I love to ski, and I'm still a skier. And there are places in the country where I can ski for free now because of my age. <laughs> you know, so, I'm looking forward to them opening this season, and to be able to ski there with friends at a distance and with masks on. And I'm I'm just um, Thrilled with being able to write, and Dave Abram Wolf and I wrote a book um, that was published during COVID. That is called "The Fix for Cravings." Dave Abram Wolf is a registered dietitian and a colleague and friend, dear friend of mine, and um, he is someone that has given in this book two possible eating plans. One that's uh, available for people who are vegetarian, vegan, and other eaters of the wide variety of foods that I eat. And also one that's a little more keto. So you can check that out with the fix for cravings. And it's available on Amazon. Um, It's available on Kindle and Dave Wolf at uh, Dave at Trigger Free Nutrition. You can get a signed copy from him or uh, from me at sh- uh, sugarxglobal.com. You can get a, get a signed copy from me. I'd be happy to send one to you. The, um, and they're not, not terribly expensive. So those are possibilities. Now, I'm also in the process of writing a memoir. So if this just tweaked your interest, um, watch for my memoir. <laughs> you
0: know? I can't even imagine this memoir just hearing the little tidbits you're throwing in. This is going to be an amazing memoir. Sign me up for that copy because I can't wait to hear more. I have a feeling you've lived a very interesting life. I have indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And th- what
1: I've shared is focused on the food recovery, but there have been so many other aspects of my life that I can't. Um, That are fascinating. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And seriously, thank you so much for sharing that story. There's so many things that stood out to me, but thank you so much for really sharing that's your story. I think so many people will connect with that. And even the behaviors that you're mentioning, you know, we don't always talk about those things, but how, you know, addiction shows up, you know, and I love the thing that, you know, hurt people hurt people, that kind of thing. So Thank you really for talking about all that and what's worked for you and how you still take it, you know, one day at a time. And I love the, no matter what philosophy that you and you and Judy use, that's so mm-hmm. powerful. And I don't know if people picked up on, you were saying you do still weigh and measure food, but now you do it to make sure you're eating enough. Or in the beginning, you want to make sure you ate every possible thing that you could. And just that big transformation too, of actually, I think that's like, you know, I was always one of those people that could not understand the friends that would say, oh yeah, I forgot to eat breakfast or lunch. And I'm like, who forgets a meal, you know, but, and now here you are making sure that you're eating enough. And I think that's a really, um, strong part of recovery too, is making sure, cause that can be a trigger. I know for me, if I don't yeah. eat enough, so it just sounds like you're taking such good care of yourself. Um, and you really are offering really good practical solutions for people. Mm-hmm. And the book sounds amazing. You know, again, we interviewed, we talked with Dave Wolf a few episodes ago, it's called the fix for cravings. I'll make sure I link that in case people yes. want to order a copy, they can do a signed mm-hmm. copy. I'll put mm-hmm. um, Dave's website up again and the sugar X global site again, that right. they can Get a copy signed copy from is so amazing. And, Would you talk a little bit more too about, I know that you do some coaching now, like working with Mm -hmm. clients, kind of talk about how you help people um, from all this amazing experience that you have.
1: Thank you for asking. I um, am interested in people having the opportunity to identify themselves as food addicts, if in fact they are. If they are not food addicts and are, have other challenges with food, that there are people who are not food addicts that, that overeat and may be obese even, but are not food addicts. Then there are lifestyle changes that are necessary and, and I can steer them in that direction. As far as people who are food addicts though, moderation will never be a solution, never ever a solution. And they've been told, I was told, others have been told so many times, that moderation is the solution it is not the solution for food addiction it is not the solution for food addiction so that kind of information only harms the person's sense of well-being it's shaming it's it's guilt producing when we have brain chemistry differences that we need to address and those are the differences that are are supported by abstinence So my goal is to help people with sugar, the assessment tool, which is a fantastic tool to help people find out if they're food and sugar addicts. If they are, then there are particular steps to take. And abstinence from those triggers is certainly a major step in the right direction. If they're not, then lifestyle changes are ones that can work for for people who don't have addiction. So that's a really critical point and something that I can help with and um, SugarX Global, we will be helping people to find out if they are food and sugar addicts and if they are, what the next steps are. After abstaining for one meal, my internal experience of my body was different, abstaining from one meal. And then it was a matter of continuing to abstain from the substances that are triggers for me, and to notice what other things. For example, um, I am very reactive to uh, cantaloupe and honeydew melon. Those are very reactive substances for me. They are, ex- you know, perfectly acceptable for some people, but for me, they within two hours of eating them, I want more and that is a craving two hours after I've eaten something if I want more of that substance it is a craving and I need to abstain from that substance so I don't eat those two fruits unless there's nothing else to eat and then I know I am going to be hungry ravenously hungry in two hours so I really try to avoid them those are things that I can help really practical things to help people find solutions to their food addiction. The recovery protection, that's a very significant part of our uh, SugarX global plan is is so significant. I'm, I'm looking back at relapse prevention, but we're taking a different tact. It's more like once you are in recovery, it's protecting your recovery so that you're not going towards the relapse, that you're not going toward the the behaviors and triggers and um, other outlying things that can take us back to where we were. We're trying to offer so many things that increase the joy in life, that happiness factor in life, the pleasure in life that is non-substance related, that is really uh, activities and joyful things my my mother and I had a very um, tumultuous relationship for many years because I was such a sex and love addict and it was very appalling to her that I behaved in these ways Um, and I tried to keep them secret from her but even even the parts she did know were appalling and so we had this very difficult relationship but in my recovery She, I was repaying money that I owed and had owed for some time, probably thinking I might never repay that. (laughs) After all, it was a loan. Doesn't that mean a gift to your child? So I was trying to repay money that I owed and she accepted the money but she wasn't going to accept the interest on the money. And there was a lot of it. So I offered to spend that with her doing genealogy trips And we started doing genealogy together, which was one of her passions. And we did genealogy for about seven years together and traveling. And I got to see how different she is. She is a really different biochemical person. I am not like her. So when she sees me not being like her, it's true. I'm not like her. (laughs) And But in the process of doing the genealogy, we had fun together, we laughed together, we found solutions to thorny problems of genealogy and had such a good time together. And this was a direct result of my recovery from food, food, the disease of food addiction. And the two of us have to this day, now she has other issues, but um, to this day we can still laugh about genealogy related things. It's finding new passion in life that's not related to the substances that we've ingested previously. It's finding new ways to focus attention, new ways to be mindful, to take us out of, this is Dan Siegel's work, is to take us out of the chaos and the rigidity and move us into the the river of integration between those walls of sloshing up on one side of chaos and sloshing up on the other side, rigidity. I can move toward integration with my brain, with every aspect of my personality and body. I can find quiet places within me. And he has a wonderful um, site on drdansegal.com where he does a meditation, a mindfulness practice, where it's the hub of a wheel And going out from the hub with a spoke out to each of your senses and being aware of those for a moment in each of them. And then proprioception where you are in space and another spoke out to your feelings. And then another spoke that goes out partway and then turns and comes back into the center of you sitting in the hub of the wheel. And in that space, there is peacefulness. There is the universe at one in quiet and an enormous spaciousness that is just divine to experience. And he's experienced that with thousands and thousands of people over the years. So the pandemic has offered us a new perspective a perspective on health and wellness and what's really important in our lives in terms of taking care of our own bodies, our own minds, our own emotional experiences, our own spiritual growth, however we perceive that to be. And to eliminate those things that are calling our names, the cravings, you know, to eliminate those through abstinence from them. That that's the only the only solution for me that I've found, and I've been looking at this as for over 49 years quite directly, and 22 years of abstaining from the the ones that have been the most problematic in my life. So, Siobhan, it's such a pleasure to to be here and to talk with you, and to get to share this with others. I do one-on-ones um, with food addicts it's best to work in groups and we'll have a number of different groups on the on the SugarX Global and I will be doing several of those Um, we'll have classes and courses that are available as well but not required the community is is um, will be a subscription community but not in an outrageous price so we're really looking forward to having people join us and uh, delight in the the community that we're creating, the action steps that allow people to grow and change and to rid themselves of the things that have been problematic previously. And the recovery protection to take care of our food recovery one day at a time. And the other aspects of recovery in terms of codependency and trauma and so many, so many pieces that come into play to trigger one back into old behaviors that we don't have to be in. And it's a passion as you can hear, (laughs) it's my passion. And I love, love sharing with others um, very practical, specific things um, about how to do this and why to do it. And the when is all the time and the where is wherever I am anytime. So I'm looking forward to being with all of you in SugarX Global community.
0: So Is that the best way for people to really get in touch with you is through yes. the SugarX Global. Mm-hmm. So I'll make sure to link that. Yeah. Thank can you, you talk a little bit more? Um, we've heard from, you know, like Judy and Anna and um, Dave. Dave about it. Yeah. But. And it sounds like it's getting closer and closer because I know I've signed up, I've gotten a few emails, but do you have an idea of when it might go live or, you know, what are we hoping for here, 2021 (laughs) or?
1: (laughs) Well, each of us is getting to the stage where we're antsy, wanting it to be already out (laughs) in the world. So I think we're getting very close perhaps Shun, when you talk with Shun Foreman uh, from Texas, that you, she will have the actual date by then. All right.
0: Yes, we, we are her in another week, so yeah. yes. Yes, I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm hoping that in another week we will have an actual date for, for launching. The, um, it's close, it really is. We have the, so many of the back end things already set up and we're just fine tuning a few more things to get them out to the, to the world. And we're so excited to be able to do it. And so it's, it won't be long, won't be long.
0: And it's just such a great idea. And coming from this group of five people that all have something a little bit different to contribute. It really is why I'm trying to interview everybody here. It's like, Mm -hmm. just so everyone can get to know you all and see that everyone brings a different perspective. It's really a place where there's something for everybody. Um, so I think that's going to be really, really powerful and, um, having the education piece, you know, for people along with the recovery protection, having the community, because that's something, you know, I did not have doing this. And I always say, I think I'm more of an anomaly that I was able to do this on my own. Although I was writing in my notebook every day, um, journaling going to turn that into the book and i feel like that kept me accountable and now the podcast does but i'm really looking forward to myself of having a, a community around it where yes people understand the language you know we speak the same language um when you say you know that i just loved how you just you know just said a couple times that moderation does not work for an addict you know moderation does not work that's what we're told over and over that you know, to moderate, but really, and if you're an addict abstinence is really the only way and that there are some people that aren't addicted and moderation Mm -hmm. and lifestyle changes work Mm -hmm. for them and that's terrific. But for those people out there that have tried to moderate (laughs) and can't, you probably are, you know, and that you can do this sugar tool that you Mm -hmm. offer to really find out your level of addictedness, you know, and then get some help around it and some first steps. So, and I also believe that there's, this is a subscription-based model. So people do like pay like a monthly Mm -hmm. fee. Mm -hmm. However, there are, is a lot of free information as well Mm -hmm. for people. Is that correct?
1: And so far, we'll have
0: have information that
1: is available. And I don't know if that's changing or not, but I'm hoping that there's still free available information at the website. And then we're talking about having, and I can't promise yet, but we're talking about having a free period of time that you can be part of the subscription-based activities so that you can make the decision.
0: Like a trial and, period, yeah. Right,
1: right. So right.
0: yeah, that, I mean, that
1: will be available and that, that's, that will be free, that that's part.
0: That's great. And then so. people will have the opportunity to work with any of you as well, mm-hmm. right? As far, mm-hmm. it sounds like um, you'll all be kind of doing some coaching as well, mm-hmm. so yeah. We'll be
1: doing individual coaching to some degree, but addicts are most helped in group settings you really I appreciate it you're saying you might be an anomaly yeah. because most people need the group they need yeah. to hear it yeah. from other people repeatedly that they are not alone yeah. this is a very isolating disease it's an isolation a disease of isolation and when we're in a group and we hear other people saying the same kinds of experiences that we have It's very healing to know that I am not alone. I'm not so weird. We've been labeled in so many different ways for so long. We no longer need to be labeling ourselves. We can accept that we are food addicts. Now, I wanna say that for me, it took a long time, even in recovery, abstinently, for me to say, I am a food addict. I am a compulsive eater also. But underneath everything else, I am a food addict. And I did not want to say those words, even though I had many friends who used them. I did not want to say those words because that was like, oh my gosh, then the solution is complete abstinence. (laughs) That's the only thing we have to offer. That's a quote from another title, Uh, but that, that's what it is. And I didn't want that to be the solution. I didn't want it to be the solution. So I just kept abstaining thinking, well, maybe someday, some way I'll be normal. Uh, If I do all of this other psychological work, I'll be normal. Oh, if I do all of this, uh, you know, work on the trauma, I'll be normal. If I do all of this service, I'll be normal. No, I am a food addict. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And normal is uh, a you know the marker on the on the uh dryer downstairs
0: (laughs) (laughs) and I think life is so much better um you know once you find abstinence and uh like I could never go back now you know I am so much happier all the things that you're talking about discovering joy again and pleasure and It's really hard when you're stuck in that addictive brain to really feel those things. Like I had to kind of retrain. Like what even makes me happy? Like I had to Mm -hmm. really do some work around that, and can be just so much more present now that the food, you know, isn't make taking over my brain. You know, all those obsessive thoughts are are done. They're gone. So I really am able to and that's why I do think the food you got to get off you know the food first because it does interfere with your thinking it takes Mm -hmm. a little while to get out of that but then there is this whole world to explore and be curious so it's really exciting you know I I want people I'm trying to like get people more hopeful and positive about it because I was really kind of the same like just didn't want to have to give it up forever where now it's like I'm so glad I did. It's no big deal now. It's like, this is the best thing I could have ever done because my life's so much better without it than it ever was with it. So, you know, I think that's just I important mean, to say to people, yeah, that like is. life is so much better. I mean, you know, it's hard to imagine it without it when you're in the grip of it. I mean, I was like that. I didn't want to give it up. I went through a grieving period, you know, like, yes.
1: yes, you know, that was
0: really, I had to listen to James Blunt's song, Goodbye, mm-hmm. My Lover. Still, when I hear that song, I can start crying and I think Uh about food. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but I I really had to go through that process. But now I can't even imagine. I am just so much happier, so much more fulfilled Mm -hmm. than ever, because the addiction is basically out of my way of living my true soul's purpose, you know, like the, Mm -hmm. that was what was blocking me. So there's just so much beautiful exploration to do. Yeah you know, once you're off your addictive substance or substances,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and this community is a great place to find the help to do that.
1: I'm sorry, or behaviors, because sometimes they're behaviors that we've engaged in that are hand to mouth or, you know, different kinds of behaviors that are connected to the food addiction as well. I just want to put in that I've traveled in recovery I've uh, I went to the Amazon and to Machu Picchu and hiked uh, the Machu Picchu trail when I was 70 years old as a food addict in recovery. That had always been a dream of mine for so many years. I um, have had opportunities to do extraordinary things, both um, intellectual and, you know, emotional and physically just doing things like that. I had a hip replaced when I was um, 72 years old. And three weeks later I was Wow! Three weeks later because of my physical recovery and that, that includes the food, it was, it's the basis of it. So we're never too old to do this. I started when I was 50. Well, I started the first time when I was 24 waited until I was 51 (laughs) and continue now so yeah it's never too late
0: I yeah that's really good it's never too late and that was just that you can do it that you were you know preparing and bringing your food for on your wedding day (laughs) and then fast forward to yeah Peru and like it is possible. Like people do do this. So I love that you, you know, when people always think you can make all those excuses, but really you can do it. Once you set your mind to it, the whole, the no matter what I think is so Mm -hmm. powerful. So, well, thank you so much. I think we're almost out of time, but I wanted to give you the opportunity. Is there anything else that you just want to share that maybe we didn't get to, or just any last kind of words of wisdom to listeners out there
1: oh shabon thank you first for having me here and to share and participate with your story as well i'm celebrating you celebrating thank you and and i hope everyone will come check in sugarxglobal.com and to really look at the possibilities and alternatives that will be available there if you are even considering that possibly you might be a food addict, possibly, that maybe some of the things I've said resonate with you, sign up for a sugar uh, assessment. And there are people all over the world that are doing that. And those are available on Bitten Johnson's website. So if you'll connect that too, so that people can Mm -hmm. see that site. And she is the she is our mentor and our teacher, all five of us, and that's how we got together. Um, so I, I want to give kudos to her. Um, I didn't mention Vera Tarman's book, Food Junkies, but that too is a fantastic resource. She's a medical doctor. So if people are telling you this isn't a medical disease, yes, it really is. And we have and had
0: her on the podcast twice. Good, so
1: good. Yeah, love oh,
0: Dr. Vera, yes. Fabulous.
1: And it, last but not least, she, this is a family disease. So when we're thinking that we as addicts are taking care of ourselves and we're still giving sugar and substances to our children that we cannot put into our bodies, there is some kind of a mental disconnect there. And we need to look at that very carefully. The incidence rate of uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in children is horrendous. So we need to look at what are we feeding our children? They, sugar is off the table. There's just no reason to be eating sugar for any human. It's a toxic substance. Look at Dr. Lustig's uh, books. And then in terms of grains, to really look at what are the children eating? Are they eating whole food? Or are they eating processed food? And if they're eating processed food, elimination of that is the first step. So um, thank you so much. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share with you.
0: Oh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember... Life is so much sweeter without sugar.